0: Turn with me to, <clears throat> to Luke 24. This morning, well, I was challenged several weeks ago with this passage. Um, was, I'm not sure who was preaching it. I should be able to say that. I think it was Brother Jay, and he brought, he referred to this passage, and it struck me. We're given just a little glimpse of what went on here, but there's just a lot we don't know. So this morning I'd like to try to fill in the gaps a little bit, possibly. The title of the message this morning is A Walk to a Mass. So as we look at this, this passage this morning... Jesus had just been crucified three days before this, was, before this happened. The women had found the empty tomb, maybe this morning or maybe yesterday. Disciples had run to check it out. And sure enough, Jesus was gone. And Jesus' disciples knew something was going on, but they didn't. They hadn't put the pieces together yet. They hadn't, it hadn't clicked for everybody. What really had just happened? So this morning I'd like for us to try to put ourselves in their shoes. Put ourselves in their time and what they understood at that time. We have the benefit of all the New Testament that was written after that they didn't they were they were looking at all they had was old testament prophecies and teaching and then jesus teaching while he was on earth what they could remember of it i mean do you remember what jay said two sundays ago or i forget who preached two sundays ago you know they i'm sure they didn't remember everything jesus had said so how would have what would have they been going through What would have they been thinking? Let's break into the story here in Luke 24 at verse 13. I want to read through verse 27. And behold, two of them went that same day to a village (coughs) called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about three score furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holding that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communication are these that ye have one to another as ye walk and are sad? And one of them said, And the one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering, said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem? and hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished which were early at the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even so as the women had said, but him they saw not. Then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken, ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So this morning, I'd like to reconstruct a little bit of what Jesus said there in 27. And beginning... At Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. You know, it's easy to have to study scripture all our life and not really realize how many direct prophecies spoke about Jesus, what he would go through. So, I'd like to go through and try to speak sort of in first person, as if I'm Jesus talking. And give these prophecies. Put yourself in those two men's shoes. And I know that I can't even come close to being saying what Jesus said. Um, But maybe we can get a glimpse of who Jesus was through Old Testament prophecy. So let's take a little walk to Emmaus. Now take note that Jesus started with Moses and went on to the prophets and Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible so anything that referred to Jesus, any prophecies in those five books would have been as if you're starting with Moses I believe that's what he was talking about those five books are often referred to as the Torah so we'll start there so now you probably won't be able to keep up looking up these references so it's okay, just listen I guess as those men did so, do you remember back in Genesis 12, verse 3, God told Abraham, And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So from this prophecy, we realize that the Messiah would come from the family of Abraham. And that's what we believe. That's what we've been, you know, we've all our lives as 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 Jews, we've been taught that. The Messiah is going to come from the family of Abraham. It's going to come of our, of our lineage. But remember then, in Genesis 49, verse 10, it says that the scepter <clears throat> would not depart from Judah. It sounds to me like the Messiah is going to be coming from the tribe of Judah. If I understand that right. And then Isaiah, he, he, was, he, he said... In Isaiah 9, 7, he said, Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. And upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom, to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So it sounds like God's pretty zealous about making sure the Messiah comes from the lineage of David. So the Messiah would be a direct descendant of the king of King David. And there, remember there in in Micah 5, 2, it says that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. So y'all were talking about this Jesus that was crucified, and you thought he was going to be, um, he was going to be the the deliverer of Israel. Where was he born? Wasn't it in Bethlehem? I think he was. Now think with me about what Isaiah says about the Messiah there in chapter 7, verse 14. He said, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, or God with us. Who would have he been talking about? He says there that he would be born of a virgin. Now this Jesus that y'all are discussing... Everybody claimed he was illegitimate. Well, I think you probably know his mom, Mary. She was a very close follower of his. What an amazing, godly woman she is. Do you really think that Mary would have committed adultery or fornication and that Jesus really was an illegitimate child? It's what they, everybody threw in his face, but do you think that's really what happened? What if Jesus really was born of a virgin? And wasn't actually born of fornication? Now wouldn't that make you think that he fit that prophecy? And he maybe, maybe he was the Messiah? Next time you see Mary, ask her about Jesus' birth. I bet she'll tell you. And remember, When Herod had all those babies killed right after Jesus was born there in Judea, you think he was trying to get rid of him? To get rid of the Messiah? You remember what Jeremiah said there in chapter 31, verse 15? He said, Thus saith the Lord, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel, weeping for her children, refused to be comforted for her children because they were not. I believe that must have been talking about what Herod did to those children. And then remember about four or five years ago, we started hearing about this John the Baptist. Kind of a crazy, wild guy out there out in the desert. He did all that preaching and ended up ended up baptizing out in the wilderness. Isaiah and Malachi both gave some prophecies that John fulfilled. Think about this. Isaiah 40 verse 3 says, The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Now doesn't that sound like what John preached. And remember how soon after John started preaching, Jesus started his ministry. Well, listen to what Malachi has to say. Malachi 3.1 says, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. Now, doesn't that prophecy make sense? If John the Baptist was the messenger and Jesus was the one who he was referring to as Lord behold I will send my messenger and he shall prepare the way before me and the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple so maybe John's a messenger and Jesus is the Lord coming to his temple then remember when Jesus was baptized remember that voice that everybody heard said, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. A lot of people heard it. Remember what it says in Psalm 2, verse 7? He said, I will declare the decree the Lord hath said unto me, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Does that mean that God was saying that this Jesus was his son? So then, there's all those parables. As Jesus started his ministry... There was parable after parable he would tell us. And he'd make things easy to understand. I think that was referred to in Psalm 78. He said that there in Psalm 78 verse 2, I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. Remember how he used those parables over and over? And because of those parables, we're able to to remember what he told us and we can teach it to our children, just like the psalmist said. Then there's that prophecy in Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61 says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn. Now isn't that the passage Jesus quoted there in the temple when he was just starting his ministry? And isn't that exactly what he did? He preached good tidings. He preached good tidings to the meek by reaching out to the poor and the needy. There was nobody under Jesus. I mean, he was there for the lowest person. He told them that they could find rest in him. And he bound up the brokenhearted. Remember how he raised that widow's son, her only son? And they were were taking that that boy out of the city on on a... They were carrying him out to bury him. And Jesus saw the sorrow of that widow and he raised that that child back to life sounds to me like he bound up the brokenhearted there and remember how that centurion came to him and his child was sick and about to die and jesus didn't even go to that centurion's house he said your child's healed talking about binding up the brokenhearted and how he proclaimed liberty to the captives Remember all those demons that Jesus cast out? Especially that wild man of the Gadarenes. Remember that? Jesus went all the way across the Sea of Galilee and found that guy and healed him. Nobody else could do a thing with that man. He went all the way across the Sea of Galilee, healed that one man, and the rest of the people there rejected Jesus, and he left and, had, and went back the way he came. He went all the way across there to free that one man from those, the, the bondage he had been in. And then that prophecy says about the opening of the prison to them that are bound. How many people did Jesus heal that had been lame or blind or mute, deaf from birth, They'd been bound up in those chains of their body, and Jesus loosed them from that. Jesus freed them all. Anyone that came to him, he would free them. Then he went on to tell everyone, even the scribes and Pharisees, that God hates sin. He hates sin and hypocrisy and loves and forgives those that repent and that now is the time to follow him. Sounded to me like he perfectly fulfilled that prophecy. And then, there's that, prophesy, that prophecy in Zechariah 9.9. 9. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon the colt, the foal of an ass. It talks about the Messiah coming and riding on a donkey, on a colt. Didn't Jesus ride into Jerusalem on a young donkey? That had never been written before. All the people were shouting and praising God and saying, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. They thought he was the Messiah and that he was going to free them from the Roman rule. But he didn't do anything to control the the government. He did not in any way affect the government. So a lot of those people that were, were praising him that morning were angry at him the next week because he hadn't freed them like they thought he would. But then right after that, he went into the temple. And there the children, the children got pretty rowdy. They were praising him and saying, Hosanna to the son of David. And remember how the chief priests and scribes got, they got pretty upset and said, don't you hear what these children are saying? And he quoted part of the prophecy that we find in Psalm 8-2, which says, Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, thou hast ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. He used that prophecy to silence the chief priests and scribes. They didn't have a thing to say. Then in Psalm 41-9, the psalmist says, Yea, mine own familiar friend in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. Doesn't that sort of sound like what Judas, what Judas did to Jesus? Remember how Judas turned his back on Jesus and betrayed him? Now the psalmist is also talking about himself, but that was a prophetic scripture also. Then in Zechariah 11 and 12, Zechariah says, and I, say unto the, and I said unto them, If ye think good, give me my price, and if not, forbear. So they weighed for my price thirty pieces of silver. Isn't it kind of odd and consequential that that's what the high priests paid Judas for Jesus? Didn't they pay him thirty pieces of silver for betraying Jesus to them? <clears throat> and then remember, when Jesus was on trial how he didn't defend himself at all in fact he really didn't say much of anything when he was on trial kind of reminds me of the prophecy there in Isaiah 53 verse 7 it says he was oppressed and he was afflicted yet he opened not his mouth he is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shears is dumb so he openeth not his mouth you know, Jesus stood there and just took it. It was just so odd that a man would stand there and not defend himself. I mean, Jesus had no reason to be under, under trial. He would never done anything wrong, and he, and he did not try to prove his innocence. He stood there and took what they gave him, just like a sheep being sheared. just doesn't complain. And also, while he was on trial, remember how the soldiers beat him? They slapped his face, and mocked him, and spit on him. Isaiah told us it was going to happen. Isaiah 50 verse 6 says, I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. That's exactly what Jesus went through. Now think back with me to all those sacrifices we've been doing all these years. actually, Ever since Abraham, really, we've been sacrificing sheep, goats, whatever, all the different sacrifices, that, you know, doves, wave offering, and all these different offerings and sacrifices we've been making. Remember how Moses gave us the law of sacrifice, how that an animal had to give its life as a sacrifice for our sins. Ever since then, we have been shedding the blood of animals to cover our sins. So what do you think Isaiah 53.5 means when it says, but he was wounded for our transgressions? Those animals were being killed for our transgressions. Why is it saying he was wounded for our transgressions? He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Do you think it's possible that Jesus suffered all those things so that we don't have to? Think about it. Just a few verses later there in Isaiah 53, verse 12, it says, Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Now, I know you thought that Jesus was this Messiah that was supposed to come, if Jesus was, was him, that he was going to come in here and free us, take the government rule away, take care of the Romans. We're going to be a, a nation all our own again. But is it possible that he actually was going to come and free us from our sin by giving himself as a sacrifice? If the prophet Isaiah was talking about Jesus there in chapter 53, this prophecy makes perfect sense. Remember how he was crucified as a common criminal alongside two thieves? And before he died, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He was numbered with the transgressors. transgressors. And while he was numbered with the transgressors, he made intercession for them. So if he did those two things, he was numbered with the transgressors and he made intercession for them. It also means that he bore the sins of many. Could it be that he truly is the Messiah and that he came to redeem us and set us free in a completely different way than we thought he was going to? Do you think that he was a perfect sacrifice for sin? And there it his crucifixion, they drove nails through his hands and his feet while his mother and his disciples watched and wept. I mean, that was four days ago. Don't you remember how they did that? And later on, they pierced his side with a spear. Blood and water ran out. Do you think maybe? That was what Zechariah was prophesying about there in Zechariah 12.10 when he said, and I will pour upon the house of David, upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and of supplication. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. Hmm. They pierced Jesus. And then his mom, remember how the women were there around the cross, and they were weeping? And before Jesus died, he said, he told John, he said, John, there's your mother. Take care of her. And then they pierced him. Remember also how the people, the priests and the elders, mocked Jesus while he was hanging there on the cross. They said he saved others, let him save himself. It sounds a lot like what the psalmist said there in Psalm 22, verses 7 and 8. He says, All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying, He trusted in the Lord that he, would, that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. You reckon the psalmist was actually prophesying about what they were going to do to Jesus while he was hanging there on the cross? And think about when Jesus was hanging there on the cross. They had they had taken his garments, so you could see his his. Bones, and the soldiers cast lots <clears throat> cast lots to see which one would keep his clothes. And the psalmist also prophesied that when he said there in Psalm twenty-two, seventeen, I may tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me, they part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. Seems I remember those soldiers were casting lots for Jesus' clothes. Right there while Jesus was dying, and he saw it happen. And remember about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out, with, he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And if you think back, those were the exact words the psalmist used there in, in chapter 22, verse 1. He says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so, why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Reckon that was a prophecy to what Jesus was going to say there on the cross? And then, didn't Joseph of Arimathea take Jesus' body and bury it in his own tomb? I mean, who would have thought it? Joseph was one of the wealthiest men in Jerusalem. But wait, hold on. Maybe that's what Isaiah was prophesying about there in chapter 53, verse 9, when he said, And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Was that a prophecy about Jesus being buried in a rich man's tomb? And he died there with a couple of wicked men? And when I joined you guys, y'all were talking about some of his disciples as some of the ladies saying that they had seen him and that you had heard that he had risen from the grave. There's two verses in the Psalms to talk about that happening. The first is Psalm 1610. It says, For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. And the second one is in Psalm 4915. It says, But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. So, brothers, don't you think that Jesus truly was the Messiah? That he really did do all those miracles? To show who he was and, and that he really did have to suffer and die and rise again to be the perfect sacrifice? Brothers, he did truly rise from the dead. You're right. And Jesus really, truly is the Messiah. Well, I don't know about you all, but as I looked at all those prophecies and thought about what Jesus might have said to those men, you know, sometimes we, we do get to a place you wonder sometimes when you don't feel close to God. Was all this real? Maybe that's a question someone faces. Is, is, it, is Jesus really real? Is this really true? Is the Bible accurate? Did he really do what it says he did? But when you look at all that Old Testament scripture, that lined up perfectly and historically with what Jesus went through. I was amazed again at who Jesus is and how all of scripture supports. He is the Messiah. He is the perfect sacrifice. He did come. He did die for our sins, and he rose again that we could be saved. And I'm sure I only scratched the surface this morning of what Jesus said to those, two, to those two men on the walk to Emmaus. They had seven miles, somewhere a little over two hours. I don't know where in that journey Jesus met with them, but it's about two, uh, seven miles there from Jerusalem to this Emmaus. And I think Jesus probably did a much more thorough job of proving who he was. But I hope that we are truly convinced of who Jesus was and is, and that he is alive today, and therefore is the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Let's have a song.